This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. We're recording. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast and YouTube channel. We're so fancy. Okay, I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... J.M. Paquette. And... Our guest today is the amazing and in a completely different time zone, Tia Simmons. Woo! Okay, let's first talk about what we're drinking because that's important. So I have Drinking with Author Swag, which I'll send you if you want it. Um, And I actually found a ginger beer at the back of my fridge. I didn't look at the expiration date. I didn't need to. And I mixed it with Honey Jack. So we'll just see how this goes. And if I make it all the way through the podcast, it's cool. JM, what are you uh, drinking there? I'm I'm actually drinking fancy hot tea. It's called compote, and it's like this red fruity Russian tea in my Annette Marie mug. Okay, that's because Jen can't drink alcohol. Anyway, TS, what are you drinking? Well, it's only ten o'clock in the morning here in Australia on a Sunday morning, so uh, coffee, unfortunately. <laughs> This is not the true spirit of Australia. I feel. I'm just saying. I'm going to throw it's it out really there. Not. No, it's not. I really feel like you should have been. It's 10 a.m. in Australia here. So obviously beer, beer. It's Um, very much part of our culture. Yes. I I actually work with uh, one of my teams is in Australia. They're in Melbourne. And all the time I'm having to remind people for that region. I keep going. Yeah, that's cool. So you scheduled that meeting. It's 3 a.m. there. They're not Mm -hmm. coming to your meeting. I appreciate you trying though. Okay. So TS, for those that don't know about you. Obviously, they're dumb, but tell the world what you write. So I write uh, dystopian fiction, but with a focus on sustainability and on community. So it all started really, I guess, for me in realising that the world's got its priorities massively screwed up. And we focus more on new iPhones and my kids wanting iWatches and all of these things. And I just thought, we've got our priorities massively screwed up. And it was that classic case of write the book that you want to read. So I wanted something that wasn't wasn't formulaic and wasn't predictable and something that um, made people really think about the world we live in. I love that. I love that completely. So, but let's travel back in time, shall we? Because... Mm -hmm. Um, we just traveled forward for you, but we can travel back and let's discuss when you started writing, not the the first book, but when did you start writing? Let's go back to then. A long time ago. Um, so I have a bachelor and a master's degree in English lit. Um, but I really got really burnt out after doing two degrees and a thesis and realizing that I just needed to take a break. So, you know, started working, started traveling, had a family, did all those things. But it was always sort of percolating, I guess, in me. And I've started at various points and it just wasn't the right time. And this series started in 2018. So pre-COVID, funnily enough, even though there is a bit of a dystopian, the world is is ending in these books, it was pre-COVID. And so that's where it started for me with this series. That's awesome. So Jen is a PhD in English lit. So I already know and can tell by the look yeah. on her face. She has questions. So I'm going to feel you so much. <laughs> what did you write your, your thesis on? 
Oh, goodness, it was comparative literature, English-Indonesian, because I speak Indonesian as well. So mine was, uh, it was a bit of an assessment of, of different, lit- different cultures and, and literature in different cultures. Can we find it anywhere? <laughs> it was a few years ago now, so I'm not even sure that they're online. It was back in the days where you had to submit your bound copies with the embossing on it to the yeah. university library, you know, three copies. So mm-hmm. I have no idea if I've actually digitised them or not. I've never gone looking. So fans out there, if you want to be super creepy, what she's basically <laughs> saying is go find her thesis. I'm waiting because for JM, she's got, uh, she uh, writes... Um, obviously as well, but obvi- I don't know why I said obviously. Yes. So there's a lot of honey jack in that cup. It's fine. This is going to be a great I interview. don't even know what honey jack is. Oh, so Jack Daniels. <laughs> uh, you got you to gotta love us over here. So Jack Daniels is a, uh, yeah. American whiskey, right? It's a. So what they've done, though, is they've put flavors. So one of the flavors is called honey jack. And they put honey, so it tastes sweet like honey. The problem with this particular beverage is it tastes sweet like honey. So you could just put it on the rocks and just drink this whiskey straight. And it's good times for all, at least for a couple hours until you fall on your face. So um, (laughs) Honey Jack happens to be one of my favorites. And ironically, uh, some uh, people that work for me, uh, decided that they wanted to give me a treat. So the, uh, yesterday, a big bag of liquor arrived from a liquor delivery, and in the there was a big bottle of Honey Jack. So I was like, "What do I want to have for this podcast?" And so I was like, "I have the Honey Jack, but I really ought to mix it with something because I broke my leg a little over a month ago, and so I haven't." you know, you don't want to drink with a broken leg because that will potentially end you up with another broken leg. So I've taken it very easy. And I was like, I wonder what I have to mix with this. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun times for all I can already tell. Um, anyway, but that's what Honey Jack is. So if you come to the United States, you can take a plethora. Of they, they have flavors. There's an apple one. There's a cinnamon one. There's See, a peach what? one. You don't get any of that. It's, it's just not fair. <laughs> it's not the same market here. No, no. You guys have other things, though, like all the most deadly poisonous creatures on the planet seem to live there. Uh, and they're all so trying to kill that. you. Yes, <laughs> I feel like you. <laughs> it's funny. And I kind of wonder if you guys there ever get to see the TV shows that we have here. We're getting totally off topic here, but because they do these like world's deadliest creature shows right over here. And it pretty much the way they've shown it, if you even just step off the plane in Australia, you are probably going to get punched by a kangaroo, which will rip your arms off. There are spiders that are just going to bury themselves in your shoes and everywhere else. Koalas are little demons in fuzzy wrapping that just attack you <laughs> out of the trees. Like, it, 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 don't go in the water because there's 4,000 kinds of jellyfish and great white sharks also, literally just surrounding Australia. They just circle in but you realize it's just an idiot test so we're just trying to work out who can see past it and still come and then go actually i didn't see any of them but you know it's just trying to do that little bit of a test i I love it cleansing the gene pool i think it's a great idea because i was it's so funny though because every time they do the 20 most deadly creatures like there are three that are not in australia 
And they're near the bottom of the but list. You never see them. Kangaroos, absolutely. But, you know, my kids, when we first moved here, so I live in a regional area now, they had a, the old kangaroo that lived in the schoolyard and he'd hoover up all the sandwiches that the kids would leave behind. And so occasionally you'd see the principal going along with the umbrella trying to get him out of the playground before the kids went out to play, which was really lovely. <laughs> That's a story. In it. They named him Kev, Kevin the Kangaroo. Oh, Kevin the Kangaroo. How adorable is that? Love it. Okay. So you finally sit down and you start writing these books. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of your favorite books though? Like I have a question later in the podcast about the favorite books. We're not answering that now, but what was your inspiration? What made you decide to even go down the literary path with your degree and stuff because i got to watch me and jen jen have known each other for um 20 years um and so i've gotten to see her go through that entire getting her dissertation and everything what made you decide to go that path uh so originally i started off as a teacher and then of course when you start breaking down other people's texts and you know let's talk about the theory of irony in jane eyre you get really really over literature really quickly um and it wasn't till i moved to different careers and i spent a lot of my time in public broadcasting in australia working in international development working overseas working with other countries um which is what overseas is, Tanya. You can tell it's Sunday morning. Um, and you're you're so- fine. I, I just messed up, honey, Jack. <laughs> Whatever you say, this is going to be golden. You can't go down from here. It's good. So it wasn't, it took me a long time to get back to reading for pleasure. And then I did start reading for pleasure again. Um, and, you know, found that I find a lot of books really formulaic. And then I found Outlander, which changed my life because it wasn't formulaic and that's what I really liked about it. And it was this tapestry that these little characters in book one that would come back in book four and you'd be going, I didn't see this coming. And I really loved that. And I thought, I really want to do that. I really want to have build a world where I have these people. And Antipodes was supposed to be a standalone And, of course, is always the way you you finish it and you send it off to the editor and you're thinking, I'm all good. And it was winter and I was driving and I live in a regional area with snow and I was driving on a mountain road with snow and rain and I'm thinking, I'm not done. And I couldn't pull over and I couldn't take notes and all these storylines are coming through my head about it needs to go here and it needs to go here. And so I finally had to find a spot where I could pull over with no wild animals and, uh, and take some notes about where I wanted this to go. And I'm now on my fifth and final, hopefully, in this series. Um, but the ideas keep coming. So while they keep coming, I still writing, I keep writing them down. I think that's fantastic. I mean, that's what uh, writers want in general. I agree on the formulaic. I think there are some that are definitely, some of those are my guilty pleasures or some of the formulaic like paranormal erotic romance, I you know, because you can kind of just pick that up and have a, <laughs> a happy moment. I realized what I was saying as I was saying it, it's fine. Um, and not, it's not very deep. Like, you know, for me, when you read Game of Thrones, I almost feel like you have to study that book. That's not a, I'm going to sit and enjoy this book for the sheer, because it's not, there's so many layers upon layers upon layers upon layers that, you can't, you know, flit through it, but I think it's great when you find that book that is truly brings that happiness and especially sparks joy for you to start writing again. 
Did you and want to be a writer when you went to school for English literature? You I were absolutely like, did. No, teaching. I did. I did. Teaching was a meal ticket, quite frankly. Um, and I'm, as you can probably tell by my not quite Australian accent, I'm British Australian. So I carry, I have both nationalities and both passports and I've lived in both countries and taught in both countries. But teaching was one of those things that you go through high school and you have the careers advisor and you say, I want to be an author. And they say, look, sweetie, that's lovely, but what's going to pay the bills? And so they suggested that I did an education component to my degree, which I did dutifully, so that I could then teach other people's literature instead of writing my own. So it was it was great because I got to travel. I've taught in Thailand and Indonesia and in the UK and Andorra. I've, I've taught and worked in a lot of countries. But it never, it got me further away from my path, which was what I always wanted to do. And I had glandular fever in 2018 and I was having a really shit time at work and I was home on sick leave and I spent the first week in bed watching Netflix. And after a week of watching Netflix, I thought, right, this is shit. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to start writing. And I didn't stop. That is awesome. That is truly awesome. Because Jen, I think, has a similar path. <laughs> what, of being sick and tired? No, and the, no the teacher thing. Oh, yeah. I, I, what the I, heck? I, I, still, I still teach, and I know exactly what you mean. Like, it's how to suck the joy out of the literature that you love. Teach it semester after semester, and you get over it. I keep changing what, what I have my students read just to avoid that. But now I do Lord of the Rings. I have a Lord of the Rings class, so I never get tired of Because I love the oh. fantasy. You mentioned a lot of traveling, like how, how has traveling all over affected your writing? Like, does it come through? Absolutely. Cause I think where, what I wanted to get to was that we could build this society where everybody was equal and it didn't matter if you were gay, straight, black, white, it really just doesn't matter. And Australia is a reasonably good melting pot, but I think the more you travel, the more you realize other people have got this right. And it is about this gratitude and empathy for other cultures and recognizing that everybody's got this amazing story to tell and you've just got to be there to listen to it. So I wanted that. Um, and I'm like, I love traveling and I love seeing different cultures and just thinking, wow, you know, how amazing is that? And I'm not talking about Ikea because, you know, once you get sucked into those Swedish Isles, you don't get out again. No, that's a whole travel experience in and of itself. I do think people should have that travel experience. If you've never been to an Ikea store, you should, you should go. Get a, you should get a shirt when you leave that's like, I went on the Ikea I, I survived. Ride. Yeah. I survived. And you kind of get sucked through the vortex of Ikea because there's, mm -hmm. and then occasionally they say, you know, shortcut. And you think, do I dare take that shortcut? <laughs> I might no. miss the curtains. If you, if you take the shortcut, you're going to end up at the Swedish meatballs anyway. It doesn't matter. It's not really a shortcut. <laughs> We get the Swedish meatballs in Australia. See, now I feel, I feel privileged now that we've got those. Yes. No, we definitely, my son enjoys going just for the, if I, there's something I need, I'll be like, I've I got to go stop by Ikea. And he'll be like, no, I'll go. What do you, what do you want? Just send me a picture of what you want. I'll go get it. And I'm like, you literally just want to go eat Swedish meatballs. He's like, no, it's fine. I'll go get whatever it is you wanted. Just, so I like to mess with him and find some obscure little item because finding the little items in Ikea, it's so terrible. So I'll be like, go pick up this dresser and find this spoon. <laughs> you have been <laughs> Find the spoon. There's only one spoon. Um, so when you um, finally sat down to start writing, 
is everything um, self-published that you do? Or do you have a publisher or? Kind of. So I've got a hybrid publisher in Australia. So there's really very few publishers in Australia now. Um, and fortunately, it's a really small market here. So I ended up finding a publisher in Queensland here. So she does the, the cover art and the typesetting and those sorts of things for me and then takes a commission from my works. That makes but sense. A lot of the marketing is mine. Awesome. That's very cool. How have you um, bridged outside of Australia, though? So are, are you like a big deal worldwide, do you think, or...? Is it I different? still have shocking imposter syndrome. I keep waiting for somebody to turn around and go, you know what, it's really crap and you've got no idea what you're doing. And every time I get a review that goes, wow, this changed my life, I keep thinking, really, are you reading my book? So I still have that going on. Um, awesome. I think what I never realised was that marketing is so bloody hard. It's, I thought writing was the hard part and going to editors and going, no, that's not what I meant. And all of those things was really the hard part. The writing's the easy bit. The marketing is really, really hard. And Australia's not a big market. And getting into the US market is really difficult because the market's saturated with books. And what makes yours stand out? So it's trying to work out social media and it's trying to work out net galley and it's trying to work out all these things without a mentor and trying to work out how do you actually get your work out there in front of your audience. And I think that was the other thing I really struggled with was I don't like everything I read. The difference is I don't leave scathing reviews for things I don't, I don't like. And I struggled, I, I realised that I've got to find my audience. So if, you know, if you happen to read erotica, that's great which I do, but it's not what I write. So there's a bit of a skewing about finding your audience and finding your market. I think that's very true. That's one of the reasons, honestly, everything you just said, we started a publication company. We've talked oh. about it on the podcast Four horsemen publications because of just that is there are so many authors that don't actually figure it out or don't have the time or the money necessarily to market because mm. you do have to find, and especially if you do what you're doing where you're not writing, you know, a billionaire erotica novel, they're brilliant. Don't get me wrong. Eh. Do not send me hate mail, please. They are all. what they are. Yeah. But those are what they are. And there's a market for it. And you can look <laughs> and see what other people are doing who wrote billion dollar, you know, erotica novels, but you know, billion dollar billionaire erotica models, erotica novels i'm fine it's fine and um you but you can see what they did where do they advertise what do they do stuff you can follow that when you're taking on something that is a new genre mm -hmm. it is it is difficult sometimes to exactly find the niche because you have to keep messing with it and messing with the keywords and messing with the blurb and who do you send it to and who do you want to do it to and we 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 do have experienced a lot of that. And I think that's part of the reason some of the newer publishers are coming out like us um, because you, you, you got to find a way for the authors to be able to write, write. Cause gone are the days where authors just wrote books. That's that right. doesn't happen anymore. You can't be an author and just write books. You have to be social media and you have to talk to people and you have to do that. Or you can be an author that just writes books, but they may never be read by a human ever. Yeah. You know, that's, that's unfortunately how that kind of works. So do you feel like now 
I see on your website, because we cyberstalk our guests, so that's yeah. something we do, that right. there are three books up there. Where's the fourth book right now? The fourth book, I've got it back from the editor, the proofreader, and I'm just doing that last minute, I can't quite press send moment to send it off to my publisher for typesetting. So it's sitting. I kept thinking I'd send it last night, but then I realised how many times you have the word was in a 300,000, you know, word document and you kind of start to second guess yourself. So I'm just in the last stages of number four, which is called Kayem. And I'm sort of oh, 50,000 words-ish through number five. So I do kind of back them up a little bit well, because I like pulling out pieces of one into the next one. That's very cool. Well, hopefully when this podcast airs, book four will be out. That would be brilliant. That's super exciting. Do you Did you pick the covers? Because the I covers are the really thing. neat. I like so the covers. I didn't design them, but the photographs within the covers, within the domes, I took. So the first one I took back when I took my parents back to Scotland a couple of years ago, um, the Stones of Kalanish up in the island of Lewis, where this, this, this series is partially set, because um, obviously I'm partly Scottish. Um, the second one and there's the third one, I'm trying to think, that was Lewis as well, actually. So the fourth That's one, I just kind of went, look, it just needs to look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh, be sentimental screw it just have it look just, just, just give have me a color match. and I want a different color and the blurb goodness sake and honestly the um the acknowledgements are the parts where I just sit there and go holy shit you'd think after writing several 400,000 word novels you'd think that I would know how to write an acknowledgements page but I get there and go blank every time how long does it take you to write one of these yeah, that's a lot of words. I didn't realize yeah. it was that big. Wow. Um, I think I just said 400,000. I think they're 100, 100 odd thousand each. Um, okay, because no, so, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Talk it's, about a dissertation on world peace, 400,000 words. Joke. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how long does it take? A couple of months, really. I mean, I work full time in, in a paid job and have kids. So, it's evenings. And then it's that, you know, it's that classic meme in my house I'm trying to write. And they know, mom, mom, mom. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's slow and steady, but um, I'd but probably get a couple of months. Did you say two months? No, 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 a couple of months. Uh, I think I probably started Kayem the end of last year, but as I said, I try and overlap them, have two on the go at a time, just so that there is there's obviously lead on to the next one. Otherwise, you've got to go back and go, crap, what did I name that character again, which I'm bringing back in. So I do try and run two together. Okay, I did, you just still said a couple months. I'm just like sitting here going, yeah. yeah, I'm jealous. Okay, cool. Come back. <laughs> So are you are you a late night writer or are you a morning writer? I'm a late night writer um, because I tend to get up and do. I'm a morning person is the crazy thing. But I found that night, once I've said everybody go to bed, I can actually focus on what I'm doing. I'm the same. Okay, you're not a morning person. I'm not a morning How person, but I work at night. When every, no, when everybody goes to bed, that's when I get my work done. No, that's and, fine. You know, I, she will not get up in the morning unless she has to. No, I don't get up in the morning. I stay up until 4 a.m. every night. That's that's my work time. Uh, unfortunately, I start getting phone calls from work at 8. So it's that case of, you know, you have to answer all your emails and get on top of your, your, your work. And, yeah. and then evening is my time. 
Well, but yeah, know. my teaching schedule is kind. I, I can grade whenever because I'm online because of COVID. So ah. I do my thing whenever. I haven't I haven't taught in years but um, we did that last year homeschooling kids and oh my goodness if there wasn't an alcoholic non-alcoholic parent in Australia I tell you what we all struggled (laughs) okay we have to take a quick break but we're going to touch on that when we get back because it definitely has impacted writing so we will be right back with drinking with authors This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And we're back. We're back. We're back. Okay. We at the break. We were talking a little bit about COVID. Now, working with um, the people, my team in Australia, you guys took a very different approach. It's, they're in Melbourne, 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 Melbourne. Okay, Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. Okay. <laughs> It's like toast, Melbourne toast. Okay, no, that's different. Anyway, moving on. It's okay. You don't even know what that is. I'm talking, Jen. You know you shouldn't drink. <laughs> I should have talking. known better. That was it's <laughs> Melba, Melba toast. Melba toast. I knew oh. I couldn't remember it. Okay, it's fine. It's it's okay. I'm just <laughs> offending entire other countries. No, when I talked to them in that um thing, they have you guys have been in lockdown. Like we Massive. we're in Florida and. We don't have COVID in Florida per our government right now. So that's a whole thing. But you guys went into severe lockdown, right? Are you guys still in lockdown? Like people can't come into Australia, right? Life's gone back to normal for us. And I'm in Victoria. So (laughs) I have a home in Melbourne and my husband lives in Melbourne. So I go up and down all the time. We clamp down really hard and really quickly. Um, Australia, it was it was months in the end. I think, you know, unfortunately where I live at the moment, we had massive bushfires at the beginning of last year. So yeah. we were evacuated for bushfires. Then there was the smoke issue for months. And then April came and the world imploded. And Australia locked down really hard, locked down all our borders, locked down our state borders, which caused us some grief. Um, and kids homeschooled, you know, only essential shopping, only one person mask wearing, and we deal out fines. We're really good at doling out fines and being pulled over, and my hubby's a paramedic, and so he'd be coming home from work at 2 a.m., and he'd get pulled over by the police. He's in uniform, no problem, off you go. But they did. We really clamped down, and we're in a state case now where it's been weeks since we've had um, a locally acquired case, There's still the odd one that comes into hotel quarantine. We put people in quarantine for two or three weeks at their own expense. Um, Australia's clamped down really hard. So even though the vaccination rollout has started and it's, you know, priority level one, two, three, and I'm, of course, I'm number 375, so I haven't had one yet, but, um, you know, health workers and things have had them, but we're still, we're just back to normal now. You can go to the supermarket, you can have parties, you can have people over to your house. But this time last year, it was it was hard going. No, and it seemed like it at the same time, though, I, I would say that you guys did it better than we did it here because the reaction like we're in Florida, which is very different than other parts of the country. 
And it was interesting because we, we didn't really go into a lockdown. Like it's still not completely locked down. We, we have thousands of new cases a day, thousands, literally like six or 7,000 in just the state of Florida. We didn't have that many in total. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I said you guys did it as hard as it was on you guys. You didn't have the amount of deaths and stuff like that. Like a lot of other countries who kind of locked down, but then went to lockdown, then looked back and went, well, what the heck? It's Christmas. Yeah. Well, that happened to me. It's the Super Bowl. Okay. Spring break. Because you couldn't possibly pass it around at the Super Bowl. No. No, We we went hard. We went fast. It was, and look, I was was very supportive of it. I've got an elderly mum with cancer and I just said, if she makes another Christmas, I don't care if it takes me three months to leave my house again. Everybody delivers. Um, My coffee beans got delivered. My bread got delivered. Everything got delivered. Toilet paper was the thing we never saw coming, hoarding toilet paper. Um, And I did go back and edit my book to add hoarding of toilet paper into one of them because I thought (laughs) I have to put that in there because that was the thing we all just went, what the? Well, Um, and you know what? I I wonder on that one, I I literally went... um, Talk about a faked situation. Create a panic about something being things so people panic and clear out stores that normally wouldn't clear out stores. But you talk to the people that were supplying it and there's like, there's plenty. Where did it all go? Mm-hmm. Like we it had a guy here in, 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 in Florida that went and bought $10,000 worth of toilet paper when the thing first started. Yeah, he did. He cleared out an entire store, bought it. Best part though was he went to try to return it after, you know, it started calming <laughs> down, he, he started trying to return some of it. And the store manager said, no, you can screw Excellent. off. What you did was not okay. Like, cause he, he was part of what created this illusion that there was none yeah. when there was, it's just, everybody started taking it home. We you know? put, Australia put restrictions in place really quickly. It was like, you know, you can have two packets of toilet paper and two packets of pasta and those sorts of things. And the thing I really liked was they did a an early morning window or something crazy like 7 a.m. where people, you know, old age pensioners and people with a disability could actually go shopping before everybody else. And I thought, isn't that awesome? Because what I don't want is my mum having to battle with somebody who's elbowing her out of the way to get to a packet of toilet paper. So I thought that was fantastic. How yeah, we had a, your, oh, go ahead, Jen. Sorry. I was going to say we had a similar thing here where, especially in Florida, because we have a lot of old people here. So that a lot of the stores had like special hours that people could go to that awesome. just now stopped. Like what, maybe a couple of weeks ago, they stopped being open early. So. Yeah. Well, they also rolled out where the vaccines have rolled out here. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody can get vaccinated. That's um, 16 and up because they're still testing the vaccine on oh. children. So Jen's fully vaccinated. She got through that. I broke my leg, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that first. Then I'll do the vaccine because I think the vaccine and the broken leg at the same time maybe a little bit much for my body to handle. <laughs> my, my body might go into overload, especially now because I have metal parts, and I heard that's super exciting for the vaccine too. Can't wait. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a whole there's the whole pitchfork brigade going on of course about the AstraZeneca one versus the Pfizer one and blah blah blah. I'm just like, you know what? There's side effects and then there's dying. So I know which one exactly. I'm choosing. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Jen, she's so passionate. But how did it affect your writing? I mean, obviously with having your kids and, you know, after eight, uh, several hours of trying to school them, wanting to, you know, put them in a box somewhere and stuff. Well, but- 
and I would spend the first four hours of my day on, on Zoom for work every day for my paid work. So my eldest who's high school did his from home badly, but that's okay. Um, my little one is primary school and I just gave up in the end. So when his teacher rang me and said, um, we haven't seen your son on whatever they use, playground, whatever, um, for a few days. And, and I'd go in there at 11 o'clock and he'd be nude in bed watching Netflix. And I'm like, dude, this is not happening. So finally he went back to school. So they did allow um, essential workers' children to go to school. And so he went for half days. And I thought if he's doing, if he's doing his essential learning and, you know, from nine till 12, I'm good with this. And at least I know I don't have to worry about him eating my, the way through my fridge between nine and 12. So uh, one went to school, one didn't. Um, look, I think every school did it differently. And they use Google Classrooms. High schools are different because, of course, high school teachers teach subjects where primary teachers teach, sub teach students. So he went to school and he had a teacher for the primary school. The high school, it was, you know, at nine o'clock, you have to log in and you've got science. And they would give them the assignments and all of those sorts of things. So I think what about every... for your writing? How did it affect my writing? writing? Um, look, it didn't actually because I was home and I wasn't travelling as much for work. So I was able to condense my work and then wrap up my day at five o'clock, feed the ravenous hordes and then sit down and actually write. So and I think it gave me a lot of fodder of this sort of, you know, you do assess society and go, what were you thinking? And all of those sorts of things. And I find that I do like that commentary on society. I'm that person that would sit back at a cafe and watch people. And you have these conversations with people and, and you find that it does sort of flow its way into your writing. So. Well, you write literally the perfect genre to do this entire situation we've had with COVID. Because when you're talking about, you know, uh, we've, I've talked to so many authors that even for me, this COVID and the working from home and all of this stuff, I do HR, like I'm an HR executive for a day job, has this year has been exhausting. It's mm -hmm. just been exhausting because outside of just having humans to deal with, which they're uh -huh. fascinating creatures to begin with, um, having the COVID on top of it and the uncertainty, and you're almost wearing the weight of all your employees and trying to keep them safe and trying mm -hmm. to make the right decisions, especially on this side where you don't necessarily have the governing bodies that should be making some better decisions, making decisions. So you're making decisions outside of that like hi you no know, we're all going to go home and and work even though it was never like sort of really declared like go home and work there's a lot of companies that didn't shut down that did it just so well and that was what I think things have really changed for us and I guess I'm lucky in that I am I am a boss at work and I report to the board and one of the first things I did was said to our board this is how much money we've got we need to take this business to the wall because we need to protect our employees and fortunately, they agreed and we, we didn't get there because obviously we continued to operate. Anyone who could work from home did. And it's changed how we do business. So now I don't have to drive an hour and a half to the regional office to, to have a meeting with somebody. I'd say, let's just jump on teams and let's talk. People, it's, it's recognised that people can work from home. I think people used to think that, I don't know, you were lying in, on your, out in your lounge chair drinking coffee, where now we realise actually you work a hell of a lot harder from home because you don't have the social interactions with people. You just want to get your job done. 
Yeah, no. And I think it forced managers to have to confront how do you work from home? I think Mm -hmm. that was the big thing that I saw. Like we talk a lot about it because I had a a person come up to me the other day. Well, it was on Zoom, but he was like, I'm trying to decide because we're making people decide whether or not positions can be fully remote as we're hiring new people. Can we hire them anywhere in the country? Like, um, is it okay? But you I'm a firm believer if you do it for one, you do it for all in that particular job. You can't go, you four are okay, but you three are not. And he's like, yeah, I'm just not sure if this working from home is workable. I'm like, it's been a year, dude, an entire year. Are are they non-productive? Did you have a bad year? Blah, blah. And he's like, no. And I'm like, I'm not having this conversation with you. This is dumb. (laughs) So when it comes to, so you would say you have five books coming out in this series and you're thinking all the time. I can tell you're a thinker and I appreciate that about you. So what comes next? Uh, look, I've, I realized that sustainability is something I'm really passionate about. Um, and, you know, I got my own little beehive last year and they're buzzing away outside my window. So these things that I'm trying to write about is that can, can we, could we go back to basics with all the technology we've got of today? So could we get rid of all all the, you know, the crap like iPhones and, you know, designer clothes and $2,000 handbags? Could we do away with that? And could we bring it back to core values? And so that's the life I try to live. But I suspect that that's really still my niche. And it is finding the genre I find the hardest. So the first one I did write um, with a sort of a new adult focus on it and then I realized but that's not real life because there's always going to be sex scenes in there and that's going to happen and that was the hardest part for me to write but then I realized that that's probably not appropriate for that age group so I removed the young adult new adult tag from for books two and three they got a little bit raunchier as they went along oh wow well total breakdown I I love that you didn't answer the question though so Listen, I may be a little tipsy, but I've done this before. (laughs) So so what do you think is next? Just another series maybe with a different part of the world or a different... Another series based on on sustainability, likely. Um, I do like this dystopian, um, you know, sort of genre, but I haven't really decided yet because my head's still spinning with all these characters and they keep talking to me. So I haven't really got there yet. It'll be so, interesting to see. So Go for it. do you plan them all out or do you just sit down and write? I say to people all the time, I am so super organized in my day job. I, you know, I know where things are going and I write strategic plans and I write contracts and I'm really, really organized. I'm a pantser when it comes to writing. And, and I find that I do have an idea of where my books are going. But then people keep saying things and I'm like, why are you doing this? And it just keeps <laughs> flowing. So it is very much a creative outlet for me. And I do find that people say things and I end up bringing in characters from two books ago and things like that. Um, I really want to be a plotter, but I'm not. I get completely messed up if I plot too much. I actually did that on a recent book I started writing and I, uh, I had to throw away what I wrote down because I got wound up in what I was doing and it wasn't flowing. And I'm like, this is dumb. I need to go a different route. I have to, 
have to, I'm a pantser. I'm a, like the epic pantser, like not even necessarily outlines or bullet points. Like I'm like, let's just write a story. I just write scenes. And to be honest, I don't even write them linear. I write the scenes and then it flows into some semblance of order. And I do find that occasionally I'll just take out a whole chapter because I think that that doesn't move the story along. So let's take that out. But it's, yeah, I'm not linear and it's not sequential. It just comes and uh, it seems to work for me. That's good. What about dialogue? How do you feel you do with dialogue? I talk to myself a lot. Um, I... I feel that if you can read it aloud and it makes sense and then, of course, you want to take out all of your that's and o's and all the things that people, you know, say in real life but probably shouldn't be saying in text. So I actually really enjoy dialogue because I think that it's, it's really good for the exposition stuff, you know, how things come about in a, in a reasonably quick way you can actually talk about it. So I like dialogue. I love dialogue. What do you think your... Um problem areas are though as a writer all of us have problem areas that you know hopefully we change and get better and have new problem areas but what do you feel like your biggest like achilles heel is when it comes to writing other than was apparently apparently you need to go find a replace was from what you were saying earlier that that, yeah and of course it's a a, a tense thing i think because i think i think in a in a current tense and I write in past tense and tense is always something that I'm constantly checking um but goodness writing sex scenes was really hard so I had to go and read a whole heap of romance and I'm just going really I'm not sure I can do that but I realized that to have an all-encompassing book about relationships and people you had to it was really important but it was how was the uh, the interesting part for me that was a steep learning curve well, I think sex scenes are for a lot of people. I don't think people realize how hard I write erotica um, mm-hmm. as one of the two genres I write. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting when you first start doing it. And I know people who use um, dolls or little, you know, things to to almost not act out because that sounds terrible, but to track or draw maps if there's multiple people involved, because very much like fight scenes you can end up with like three arms and Mm. there's only two arms on that human or whatever. And it's not realistic. Also, it's very easy to get stuck in using the same words over and over again. Mm. You know, if you don't get, there's a lot of, uh, one of my, I have a favorite little book I um, got that, let me see if I can find it, but it's, it's, it's about sex words and it's words that you can use so that you're not using the word cock 500 times, you know, even though I love the word cock, naughty words for nice writers and sexy words for writers. She gave me this one. That's what I thought you were looking for. Naughty words for nice writers. <laughs> yes. Well, I, cause you're a nice. That's writer. what I need. So, yeah, no, I got that book only because at a certain point, like going back and rereading my stuff, I'm like, how many times did I say the word cock? Okay. Find and replace the word cock. And when you're doing that, that's a whole new level. When that's not a was or a that it's how many times did you say moist? You know, you you shouldn't (laughs) say moist ever, by the way, the most hated word. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, that's interesting. Does your husband read your work? No, (laughs) that's okay. That's okay. We all have similar. My boyfriend doesn't read all my work stuff. I've read stuff (laughs) to him and I've asked him to read stuff to go. Does this make sense to you? 
but trust me, he's not picking up my home on Horror Island and thinking this is great literature. I should be reading this. I think Jen has a similar thing. I don't think her husband reads he's, a lot. He's supportive in other ways. He yes. brings me tea Hi. and gets our daughter up in the morning so I can sleep in. Oh, that's lovely. Because she's up till four o'clock in the morning. So let's talk a little bit about your fans. So how much much interaction have you had with fans face-to-face? Have you had a lot? Because these kind of came out soon. No, not face-to-face. Because, of course, COVID, hard lockdown in Australia. And the fact that I took a job five hours away from Melbourne and, and ditched hubby in Melbourne. So... I've got a fairly unusual life in that I, I, I moved away and said, I'm taking a job and I'm taking the kids, the cats and the dogs and moved. And um, so I spend my life driving up and down to Melbourne. But no, I you don't get the opportunity at the moment. It's really only been the last sort of month or so that lockdown has lifted. And everyone's still sort of a bit apprehensive in Australia about collective group things. So there's not been any any conferences or anything to actually go to. I can't wait for you to have that experience. That is an amazing experience when you get to have that experience and be I'm around. Scared your about that? Why are you scared about that? <laughs> You're a celebrity. This is the fun part. I think authors being some of the most humble people. Not me, but uh, a lot of authors are humble people. I know I'm not humble. Anyway, um, but being able to interact with your fans because they come up to you and they're even if they don't know you and they see your book and they pick it up you did this thing and you're a celebrity to them for doing that thing and especially if they know you and they come meet you because you'll find that um and i don't know if you've already experienced this through some of um like email and stuff like that but they fall in love with characters and they fall in love with ideas and they'll remember your book better than you do yeah, I'm a bit worried about that. No, you just go, what's your favorite scene? Oh my gosh, yes, I love that one. Just because they're going to tell you, they're not going to make it up. They're not going to be like, I'm going to test her and say this thing that's not in the book. No, they'll repeat to you their favorite line in the book, the favorite character in the mm-hmm. book, all of that stuff. And maybe even dress up like a character in your book. It was lovely. So it was only yesterday I got an email from somebody who said, you know, you write really well around anxiety and, and, you know, sensory processing issues. And I said, I've got two kids with autism anxiety, you know, and she said, I could tell because I've got two kids with this. And she said, I could see that you were writing that from experience. And I thought, isn't that lovely? Because one of my earliest reviews was the character's backstory doesn't match the diagnosis. And I'm thinking, hello, buddy, living it. So it was really a really interesting piece, a comment on a review. And then to have somebody just email me out of the blue and say, this really resonated because that's my life. I thought that was so lovely. Well, you, you talk about reading reviews. So that can be a very double-edged sword yeah a very very double-edged sword but I want I think I see it as feedback and because I want to improve and so it's look it is it's hard and when you get a good one it kind of goes oh and you get all buzzy for the rest of the day because that's lovely and then you read something and I think the hardest ones are where people go I didn't like it and you think but why So what didn't you like? Because if it's something that's fundamental to the book, well, I'm not changing it. But if it was something that you went, I didn't like the way you did that. And I could go, actually, no, fair call. I could, I can, I can see that. So So you need to to give out ARC copies if that's the feedback you want. 
you got to be careful because the problem with reviews is people pick up a book because of a cover or a blurb and they get into it and then realize it's not their book. So you want the people who have read your book to be people who are fans of that particular genre or whatever. And that is not always the case. Like I had a review, um, my, <laughs> I had a review. So uh, it's an erotica book. It's called My Home on Whore Island, right? And it's humorous erotica. That's the whole point. Looking for Mr. Right now, not Mr. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had a mail on Amazon review it that was upset that it didn't give more direction on how to have casual encounters it wasn't a how-to guide <laughs> no, but that's what he he gave me three stars and said that it didn't give enough direction on how to establish these kind of relationships you should be in the self-help section apparently. yeah apparently yeah. apparently not actually apparently it's not good enough to be in the self-help section mm -hmm. to help you find somebody to fuck i just was like what and yeah. It just is a true, you know, exact thing to go. This book wasn't for that person. I agree mm. with you. If you can get um, uh, art copies out, and we can always talk separately on, on that, to get the people who are invested in reading to write a true review about what they thought of it, or a group of beta readers that are not friends, do not have friends be no, beta readers friends. unless they're um, authors and really understand that, but it's very dangerous having friends as beta readers because they go, Oh, it's great. It's great. It's the best book I ever read. It's so fantastic. Um, but finding that I think is important. So you can improve and maybe having writer friends that you constantly are learning and growing from, but be careful with reviews. That's just my advice. Cause you never know who's the one typing, or if you see a review, especially on Amazon, you can click on that user to see what else they've reviewed. To see if they actually know what the fuck they're talking about or if they're looking for a guide to show them how to have one night stands. Because I think this is so hard as a new author, as I say, it's, it's navigating that space and recognizing that reviews are critical to sales. And how do you get those reviews when you're not known? And how do you build that arc team and your street team? And how do you build those things? And that's just been, it's slow going, but I wanted it to be organic. Um, so getting there, but I'm not really there yet. Well, outside of this, I'll ping you. I'll give you some hints and tips <laughs> and stuff like that to help you with that. Because part of my goal is, is to also help authors. Because it is hard to navigate that. But you do want to find people who genuinely want to read your book to genuinely give you a, a real review is different than somebody who's buying the book to give you a review or on Kindle and are they watching it, uh, reading it late at night? Cause like on Kindle, you can't type in a review. Like you're not typing in a review on Kindle. You're hitting the stars and then it takes you to the next book you're reading. So like you have to go in and type in a review for the book. I mean, you may be able to do it somewhere in Kindle, but it's not at the, you know, when you're late at night reading with your Kindle white and then you hit the end of the book you can rate it by stars, but you can't necessarily write a full review. So it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting game and gambit to go down that path. But it is, you know, it's nice when somebody says something super nice about your book or it impacted you. But I think if you do on social media and have, do you have a, a fan group for your books on social media on like Facebook? 
still working on that. So still trying to build it. I mean, I only released Antipodes in December of last year. So it's only been five months. And so it's a slow game, but I've released three in five months with another four, another one to come. So it's where, and where do you spend your, your time and your energy? Do you spend it on the writing and on and engaging on social media? I wasn't even on Instagram until about January. And now, you know, and then you suddenly have 2000 followers and you think, how did that happen? So it's, uh, it's no, that's brilliant. It is. And you do have to partition your time, especially if you're not with a publisher who's doing that marketing for you and stuff like that. But I think you're doing fantastic. And I think you should be super proud of what you've accomplished. And um, I just now I realized, and this may have been the honey jack talking again, but I didn't realize it. I thought it was the previous year. You've done fantastic for releasing all those books in a very short period of time. You are kicking some ass and taking some names. So you should be super proud of what you've accomplished there. You've done a good job. And you're horrible imposter syndrome. I'm not there yet. Okay. Well, you'll eventually get over it and become like me and just think you're the greatest thing in the world. I just went to a thing at work on imposter syndrome and it had like 67 people in it and everybody in the chat was like, oh my God, that's me. Yep. That's me. Guilty. Yep. That's us. So we all feel the same way, except not Erica. It's funny. I I wish I felt that way. I wish I had the confidence to go, hey, this is me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I it's like every time I start a new job, it's the same. I keep waiting in that probation period for someone to go, actually, we've just worked out. You've got no clue what you're doing. So I feel that every time. And I just think it is part of who I am. Well, I I think it is. When I first started writing and I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I am not, uh, don't have the amount of workout that Jen does and a lot of colleagues and friends and stuff like that. Um, but I walked into a open mic one night and I had, I had like one short story published or something like nobody, you know, it wasn't even a big deal. And I walked in and I stood there and I went, you know what? I'm a famous author. That's just my decision. I'm a famous author. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm just going to, and I just, oh, I didn't walk around going, I'm a famous author, but I just, in my mind went, I'm a famous author. I'm a big deal. And what was interesting is I think confidence, if you just decide that, because you're the one deciding that you're the one producing the books, you're the one doing that. I'm a famous author. And what I found was when I would go to these events, I'd walk in and I'd go, they go, oh, hi. And they go shake my hand. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm Erica Lance. And they're like, you're Erica Lance. It's Literally, I have not like got a USA bestseller or something. So it's not like you're Erica Lance, but it was just owning the room. And I think as authors, we all need to own the room and not be egotistical about it, but decide you have three books out. You are a celebrity. You are. Look, you're on a podcast. I'm struggling with that word. But you are I am struggling with that word. And the crazy thing is at work, I'm a, I'm a lot better at, at projecting the confidence I don't feel. I just haven't got there with writing yet. Well, now you're on Drinking with Authors, who literally yeah. has thousands of subscribers. So now you're a big deal. And now you're a celebrity on the podcast. So everybody needs to email TS here and tell her what a big deal she is. So she gets it. And then she'll walk around <laughs> thinking she's a big deal. And then eventually I'll be like, hey, do you want to be on the show? And she's like, ah, no, I'm sorry. I'm only on Seth Rogen. Like, <laughs> don't even have Seth Rogen in Australia. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's not good. Okay. Um, so, oh, we're nearing the end. I didn't realize we we're close to the end. Okay. So what advice would you give writers out there? What little grain of 
wisdom would you pick? Oh, look, I think there's there's two quotes that resonate with me, and one really is start now. There's it's like parenting. There's no such thing as a good time. You make the time, and you write, and you've got to finish it. So anyone can write. Only authors finish it. And the other one is that lovely Jodi Picoult um, quote around, you can always edit a bad page, but you can't edit a blank one. So it's all very much around the same thing for me. It's about, I wish I'd started this sooner and, um, you know, and, and actually finished. Well, you're catching up. So well done with that. So mm-hmm. how do people find you if they want to find your books? What is the best way to do that? So I have a website, so tssimons, S-I-M-O-N-S dot com, um, Amazon, BookBub, Goodreads, all the usual, usual platforms. And you're on Instagram at? Insta, uh, tssimons, and Facebook as well. Good. So I they struggle with Twitter. Twitter. I don't get Twitter. Twitter is really, there's a whole, t- I'm going to send you an email, there's a whole trick to Twitter. Unless you want to just fight with people, then there's a totally different thing you can do on Twitter. There's like two versions of Twitter. There's the fight with people and actually maybe share some wisdom. That's what I'm looking for. Yes. Okay. We'll give you a couple tricks. You have been amazing. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you're a big deal in Australia. So of course we had you on here. So um, anyway, it has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. J.M. Piquette. And we will see you next time.